You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. We will be discussing the COVID-19 national health emergency with a don't panic plan approach. Our guest is Leanne Kiefer, an expert in the field of infection control and a noted international speaker and dental hygienist. She serves on various foundation and publication boards in the U.S. and Canada and is on the editorial review board for OSAP. Leanne is currently the director of clinical services for Euphredi Group. Leanne, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Phil, thank you. We're excited to be able to share this information with you and with our audience because it's through these type of learning activities that we reduce the stigma by addressing the fear and anxiety that some of our clinicians are feeling. Yeah, and it's a tough time for healthcare professionals across the board, especially the first responders. I mean, those that are treating patients that are ill um, in emergency rooms and transporting them. And it also involves dental professionals, and that's why we're having this podcast. What are the current global and U.S. statistics for COVID-19? Are there different stages to this disease spread? All good questions, Phil. And, you know, you could ask me that question today and I can give you numbers. And if you ask me that question tomorrow, I'd change those same numbers. But let's just talk in terms of, of general um, numbers and awareness. Right now, we're, this disease is present in 140 countries plus, and it's in every continent except Antarctica. And for those of us in the U.S., um, unfortunately, we're at 49 states. Uh, we're also including District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, total numbers, we're looking at over 150,000 confirmed cases worldwide. Here in the U.S., we're sitting at about 3,500 and right around 70 deaths. So um, we have three of our states that are going through the highest level of challenge at this given time. Um, those being, and it's kind of interesting because they're at different almost corner points of the U.S., uh, Washington, the state of Washington, California, and New York are the states that are showing the highest numbers. And when you asked me, Phil, about stages of this disease, absolutely. And when we talk about it, it's actually um, uh, four different stages. Recognition, being aware of this new emerging disease. And think about coronavirus. Coronavirus is not unique in and of itself because it's a family of viruses, Phil. And there's actually seven different ones. Some will say nine, but seven is sort of the number that comes up in most of the refereed areas. And we're most familiar with two that happened um, in 2003, which was the SARS virus. And then in 2012, we had the MERS virus in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. But this particular virus is a new emergent virus, and it's the first one this century that has gone pandemic as an emerging virus. And so that recognition part of the stage has occurred. Remember, this started in December um, in China. And then right now, the new epicenter for this disease, unfortunately, is now in Europe. In the U.S., we're in what they call the initiation phase. Um, like I said, we're at about 3,500 uh, confirmed cases. After the initiation phase, um, then when we get into more of the community spread, which is what that pandemic issue, it's related to a global spread of the disease. It's not about the severity of the disease. It's how this disease is spreading across the world. We get into the acceleration phase, and the U.S. Um, is sort of dipping our toe into that acceleration phase of this disease. Europe is full into acceleration right now, and then China 
is at the deceleration phase or stage of this disease. So recognition, initiation, acceleration, deceleration are the four stages. We are in the second. We're in initiation, certain parts of the country, and you can be in different parts uh, depending on where you are. So like New York, California, Washington are in the acceleration right. phase. The third stage, yeah. So it depends where you're living. And obviously those three states are getting hit really hard, no doubt. Washington, New York, and California, and they're trying their hardest to contain it the best they can. What we want to do is we want to change the course of this pandemic. And, you know, that's what WHO and CDC, you know, have been working to do. And containment, you know, you try to focus on control. And that's when we did things like, you know, we were detecting, we started to test for it, we tried to isolate those patients that showed symptoms, we, we tried to trace the connection, where did people, you know, where did they go, who did they get it from, that type of thing. Um, but now, because of the pandemic, because of this spread, with that, we look at what they call community spread, and we're seeing that in some of our states. I think Houston was the most recent, that they have a confirmed case, but when they ask the patient you know, all the questions about, have you been outside of the country? Have you been with someone who's been out of, outside of the country in the last 14 days? And they can't come up with an exact tie, then it's issued as community spread. So instead of a one-to-one, -one, it can be a one-to-two people, and then it goes on from there. And at that point, you're right, we have to mitigate. And mitigate is meant to slow the transmission, that we're doing some non-pharmaceutical intervention because obviously, you know, we're working on a vaccine, but we don't have it yet. And this is a virus, so we can't use um, antibiotics, won't work. And we don't have, we're trying antivirals, but they haven't, you know, gotten through all the testing yet. So as a community, you know, a nationwide community, we have to take action to help suppress um, the opportunity for this disease to spread. And so we've heard the term social distancing. We know that this is a close contact disease, so you want to stay more than six feet away um, from somebody who's exhibiting symptoms. Um, washing your hands. Washing hands is the number one way that we're going to slow this disease, and it's everybody taking that responsibility that, you know, either using water and soap, you know, in a 20-minute or I'm sorry, 20 second hand washing, or if that's not available, obviously alcohol-based hand rubs are a great solution for us. And we're, we commonly use them in dentistry because of their efficacy. Phil, we wanna make sure that people are choosing the right product. It has to be a minimum of 60% alcohol. Um, some of the WHO documentation says 70% is preferred, but anywhere from 60 to 90, you're in the, you know, you're in the safe zone. And, you know, we want to make sure that they're using it for long enough, Phil, and with alcohol-based hand rub, key to that is the right amount of product. And I know that sometimes when supplies get a little, um, uh, you know, um, tight, people want to be a little bit scrooge with what they're using. You've got to use at least a dime size of product in the palm of your hand, and as you begin to apply it, to the fingertips, between the fingers, on the back of the hand, to the palm, to the thumbs. Your hands have to stay wet, damp, for 20 seconds. And you have to keep rubbing the hands together because the friction with that um, alcohol rub is what's going to help to get rid of the, the bacteria that we have in our hand. Yeah, we, so, often, we often see a drop or two being placed no, in the hand. You need that dime size. And Phil, 
don't just wave like we, we don't want people to put on their hands and then just wave their hands around like they're trying to dry them. Keep that friction going. So I think hand washing is important. And when you ask me about the practices, Phil, if somebody's not feeling well, they need to stay home, patient or staff. And that's CDC. You know, don't don't try and be a hero and come in. And, um, you know, this is not the time if your office, meaning if you're in business and you're a patient and you think, well, you know, I'm not at work. I might as well go to get my teeth cleaned. If you're not feeling well, don't go to the don't go to the office. Don't expose others. So make that choice. I also think it's important that we follow the CDC guidelines that you know we want to set up our practices if we're continuing to see patients set up for success for safety. And that means having a respiratory health center in your reception area. So rather than having pump bottles of alcohol-based hand rub, if you can get one that's an automated dispenser that nobody's going to have to touch anything, that's great. Um, you know, have boxes of tissue throughout your reception room and not the one boxes that are open that you can grab like, you know, a stack of eight. Have them be individual pop-up tissues because it's better aseptic presentation. If you are going to have masks to give to your patients to wear in the reception room, if, if that's their choice, we don't want to put out a box of masks and let everybody kind of rifle through them. Um, you know, either have a dispenser or have it dispensed by the front desk person. The other thing that I think we sometimes just don't think about is having trash receptacles in our reception area. And those trash receptacles should have a closed lid on them that is foot operated. We don't want people having to push dirty tissues or whatever, you know, through a, an opening. So foot operated closed receptacle, and it should be lined with a disposable bag so that when staff comes out to remove it, it's as clean as it can be to remove that uh, trash. For the waiting room, do you recommend more surface cleaning than normal, like they're doing in the grocery stores now? You see these people down the aisles wiping everything. Absolutely. People are, have been asking about what type of surface disinfectant is being recommended. And in our homes, CDC has said that household disinfectant products, you know, are adequate. When we talk about in our professional practices, you know, we want to use a hospital grade um, surface disinfectant. So whatever we're using in the clinical area, we can also use out in the, you know, the patient reception area. But absolutely, we need to be wiping down those surfaces that people touch, the doorknobs, the light handles. Um, you know, if you have any type of uh, gaming devices that have controllers, we've got to think about all that because touching those and then touching faces is going to be, you know, transmission possible. So let me get into the question of emergency treatment. What is the protocol right now that, that you recommend for patients that are that really need to have dental care as an emergency patient versus non-emergency treatment? As a uh, representative and educator for Hugh Freedy, you know, I would not make specific recommendations, but what I will do is share, you know, some of the, the concepts from the CDC. And the idea is that we need to use our best clinical judgment, you know, and look at all the risk factors and look at your, your patient base. I mean, if you have a patient base that um, tends to be high percentage of geriatric patients, that's going to be very different than if you have a pediatric practice. So you have to evaluate that. And if you are to the point that you're triaging your procedures for a number of reasons, you know, it could be part of your mitigation process. You could be triaging because of your availability of single-use disposable items. And then you're going to decide, you know, if I have a, a true emergency patient, 
what's the protocol and how are we going to treat them? So that has to be something that in each individual practice, the decision is made based on the guidelines that are set forth by the CDC. Now also remember, Phil, in some of our states, the state dental boards have met and they have made the decision in certain states that dental practices will be closed for a temporary period of time. A lot of them are starting with a two-week time frame um, as we're going through this initiation acceleration phase of COVID. I think by communicating with patients before they come in via email, um, our telephone calls, here's what our practice is doing to address this issue. You know, we know that the vast majority of COVID presents in a mild format, but it's all dependent upon the individual person. So, you know, having a plan of, okay, if somebody comes in, do you have the plan to contact that person's medical care provider? You know, they're the ones that are going to make the recommendation whether that person needs to be tested or not. But we, we can't wait until it happens to have a plan. We have to be proactive. So let's talk about the testing a little bit. Is that something a dentist should recommend to a patient if they work with a patient that may not be feeling well or, or that patient is not feeling up to coming into their visit that's been scheduled? Um, should, should the patient uh, be advised by the dental professional to get a test? This is where establishing key relationships with other health professionals is very important within your region. The dentist would never make a direct recommendation, they would work in collaboration with that patient's healthcare provider. So it's contacting the patient's healthcare provider and then we also need to make sure to contact if a suspected case, that's why the CDC has published a list that you can go right to the CDC website and it has a list of all the state board health authorities with the phone number to make it very easy for our offices to call and report. Phil, obviously we're seeing increase in testing. The CDC has done about 4,000 um, specimens in their labs. U.S. Public Health is now up to about 12,000 tests and we know that we have some private labs that are also doing tests. In most of these, like in, I live in Colorado, and we established in Denver one of the first drive-in testing services. However, for a patient to go there, they have to have an order written by their physician and they have to have um, a picture ID uh, to be able to participate in that type. So you have to work with your medical care provider and identify you know, whether because of your symptoms, testing is recommended. If people are symptomatic, they need to contact their health their healthcare professional, um, especially if we have somebody that's in the demographics of the seniors with comorbidity, you know, that's not a wait and see type of situation. So the, the better the level of communication, the better level of care and prevention that we can provide. And we've um, got to encourage our, our own staff, Phil, because sometimes, you know, we want to be heroes, but if we're not feeling well, we should not be going into work. Yeah, it's a tough situation, big sacrifice across the board. All healthcare providers are involved. You know, sometimes we've just got to go back to the basics. You know, keep in mind close contact with other people. You don't want to be with, you know, six feet. Avoid touching your own eyes, nose, and mouth. Like you said, stay home when you're sick. Practice appropriate cough and cold hygiene. You know, clean and disinfect surfaces frequently. Oh, by the way, think about our phones, people. You know, we touch those more than 2,000 times a day. And Apple actually came out with a recommendation for cleaning phones. Um, you know, that it's on their website, looking at a 70% isopropyl alcohol. They've also approved a Clorox, um, Clorox disinfecting wipe, obviously avoiding any kind of opening uh, or button on your phone, but they've stepped up. Um, right. You know, face masks, no. Right now in our community, it's not recommended that 
community-based people are wearing face masks. We want to have those available for our healthcare professionals. I will tell you that in Europe, that recommendation has changed today, that they are asking community people to wear face masks in parts of Europe. But last but not least, Phil, washing hands, either with soap and water for 20 seconds or alcohol-based hand rub. Best things that we can all choose to do. Let's uh, hope for the best. Thanks so much, Leanne, for your information. And uh, I'm sure we'll be having more podcasts on COVID-19 and how it affects the dental professional coming up. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Phil, from Euphrates Group.